I'm just curious, have you ever met someone you later wished you'd never met? Awkward laughter, I know, I know, because you're sitting by them right now, aren't you? That's why it's so awkward. No, don't point any fingers. Isn't this true for all of us? Like if we were sitting down privately where we could have this conversation, I ask you this, you, you have some names that faces that just come to mind immediately, don't you? We've all got some people we later wished we'd never met. So in some cases, it's people that Quite honestly, when we met them, we knew internally, I'm a little too excited to have met them. I shouldn't be so excited to see them. I shouldn't be so excited to see them again. I'm not sure this is a good thing. In other cases, we thought it was good until later on. Then we looked back and we knew then, oh, it probably wasn't such a good idea. It's so interesting because the people we met always end up becoming part of our greatest regrets. Just think about it. You you think about the greatest regrets you've had in your life. Isn't this true? The, The people that you met ended up showing up in those regrets. And here's what's so interesting to me about this. It, it is the fact that when you were engaging or you know, exploring whatever you were doing that caused you to have the regrets that you have, you did them with people. You probably didn't do them in isolation. And you did them with people that at the time, at the moment, you considered to be friends. You, you, didn't, you weren't you know, forming your greatest regrets with your enemies. You were forming your greatest regrets with people. You consider to be friends, and then down the road so often, unfortunately, we look back and we go, I just wish I'd have never met them. I wish I'd have never ended up there. I wish I'd have never done that. That's so interesting to me. Well, anyway, last week we started this guardrail series, and if you weren't here, I'll catch you up real quickly, but uh, the best way to catch up is just to download our app if you don't have it, and you can find all the messages there. You can go to our website and find them. But this guardrail series is based on a single question. Can you plan today to prevent regrets tomorrow? I think this is a great question to consider. Could, can you actually plan today to prevent regrets tomorrow, even though you don't know what the future holds and you don't know what those regrets would be and you don't know necessarily in the moment that you're making the decision whether that's going to be a defining moment, you don't know if that decision is going to lead to a regret, but is there a way to plan today in spite of all that uncertainty and avoid or prevent regrets tomorrow? And I, I think the answer to that question is yes. And the way that you plan today to prevent regrets tomorrow is you put some guardrails in your life. Now, all of us know when it comes to the road, we all know what guardrails are. Here's the definition of them. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. It is a system, which means we never think about this until, you know, we have to use a guardrail, and then it comes into our mind, we realize, oh, somebody didn't just randomly, haphazardly put the guardrail where they put it. No, they put it there on purpose. It was pre-planned, and it was intentional because they realized on the other side is a lot of danger, and so I'm not just going to have a painted line that somebody can cross easily and end up in danger. This is such big danger. I'm going to put a guardrail in a safety zone far enough away from the danger zone that if the person hits the guardrail, it's going to prevent them from getting into too much trouble. It's just going to cause some minimal damage. It's always pre-planned, and it's pre-planned or it's intentional to accomplish a couple of purposes. Guardrails are designed to direct and to protect. They're to direct us on where we should go. They're to protect us from where we shouldn't. Now, the point that I made yesterday, what, or last week, excuse me, was that just like we need guardrails for the road, we need guardrails for our lives too. I would suggest to you that you need some financial guardrails and you need some morality guardrails and you need some emotional guardrails. You need some relational guardrails. You need some dating guardrails or some uh, marital guardrails. You may need some parenting guardrails or professional guardrails. Like all of us need some guardrails in life. And when I talk about these kinds of guardrails, here's what I'm talking about. A guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. So it's a personal standard, which just means this, and you you can't miss this. 
it's not a matter of black and white. It's not a matter of right or wrong. Guardrails are not something that apply to all people. Everybody should have the exact same guardrails. That's not true at all. This is not about sin or not sin. This is about what's wise or unwise. And so your guardrails may look different than mine, but based on our experiences, based on our lives, based on our temptations, based on our tendencies, based on our past, we all need some guardrails. And where they go and what they look like may be different, but we all need some. And those guardrails need to become a matter of conscience, which just means this. While it's not about right or wrong, for you, it feels like right or wrong. While it's not about, oh, this applies to all people, and if other people don't have my guardrail, then they're, you know, they're screwing things up in their life. No, no, no. But for you, it feels like this is such a big deal to me that it feels like right or wrong. And when I bump up against this guardrail, when I, when I you know, graze this guardrail, it lights up my conscience. It gets my attention. And I immediately realize, no, 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 I think I'm headed towards danger. I'm headed in the wrong direction. And I need to redirect. So last week, we talked about this general idea and concept and the value of it. Today, we're going to start getting specific, and I want to talk about what it looks like to have guardrails, particularly in the area or the arena of our friends and our associates, our friends and our associates. In other words, think about the people that you hang with, the people you play with, the people you travel with, the people you entertain with, the people you run with. We need some guardrails in those types of relationships. Now, here is my challenge today, and I'm just going to lay it out here. My challenge is to convince you that you need it, because as I start talking about this, you're immediately going to think, well, teenagers need that. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm a grown adult. I don't need this. Teenagers need that, but no, 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 I'm old enough now that none of that impacts me and affects me. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 26 or 86 or anywhere in between. You need it. And you need it for several reasons, but one of the reasons that we all need guardrails when it comes to friends and associates is because of this very basic principle of life that acceptance paves the way for influence. In other words, whenever you're with a group of people, a group of friends who accept you, what do you do? You drop your guard, you relax, and you are far more open to their influence than someone that you hardly know or someone that you feel doesn't accept you. We are all drawn toward environments of acceptance, and when we get in an environment where we feel unconditionally accepted, we are very, very open to influence. Now, that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just human nature. It's what makes friendships fabulous, and it's what makes friendships dangerous, depending on the people who are around us. This is why Jim Rohn famously made a statement. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement, but it's so interesting. Jim Rohn one time said this. He said, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Now, I'm just going to pause because you're trying to think who are the five people. So go ahead, go ahead, and then groan because you're like, oh, right? I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness, I'd never thought about that. Surely that's not true. Well, the reason he said this is because he knew. The five people you spend the most time with are probably the five people you feel most accepted by. And you're eventually going to become like those people because acceptance paves a way to influence. I would say it this way, that your friends are a preview of the future you. Your friends are a preview of the future you. In other words, you, can, you just try this if you don't believe me. You ask somebody, tell me about your five friends, and you learn a little bit about those people, and I guarantee you, if that person isn't already like them, they will soon be like them. It's just the way it works. The reality is your friends still influence the quality of your life. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter what stage you're at. Your friends still influence the quality of your life. Now, what's interesting to me is when you open up the text of scripture 
that was written over a you know, 1,500 year period, and you begin to look at all these different authors and all these different periods of time throughout you know, all these different ages, if you will, you find that all through it, that throughout what we call the Old Testament, the New Testament, this concept keeps coming up. These authors would write about this idea, and they were writing about them to grown adults, but they would write about this idea over and over again, and they would tell stories that illustrated this. One of them that I just think is so clear and so powerful is a story that's found in 1 Kings 12. You probably have heard of David, King David, the you know, king of Israel. David's son Solomon, you probably heard of him. When David died, Solomon, his son, became king. During the reign of Solomon, Israel was at its greatest height, its you know, greatest power militarily and financially, economically, and in all those realms. And then Solomon died, and you may not be as familiar with Solomon's son who became king next. He was David's grandson. His name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam took the throne at a fairly young age. He's probably in his early 20s. And when Rehoboam took the throne, something interesting happened. He had a leadership crisis right off the bat. He had a key defining moment. And I don't think at the time he realized his decision would become a defining moment, but it did. There were a group of ambassadors, if you will, from the nation of Israel who approached Rehoboam. And the reason they approached him was because during Solomon's reign, even though it was at the height of Israel's history, everything seemed to be going great. Part of what happened during Solomon's reign is he uh, conducted construction project after construction project after construction project. He built the temple. He built palaces. He built cities. He built military bases. I mean, the entire time Solomon was king, there was something going on. And so the people were being taxed and, you know, having to fund all this. Then the people were having to provide the labor for all of this. And it just wore them out. And so when Rehoboam became king, they send an envoy, if you will, to Rehoboam. And it's led by a man named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam stands in front of Rehoboam and he says, hey, we, we just have a request. Would you please back off everything Solomon did and give us a break? Would you please not continue to build and not continue to expand and not continue to tax? Would you, we're just worn out. Would you just give us a break? And Jeroboam says, if you'll do that, if you'll ease up on us a little bit, we will be loyal to you for life. And Rehoboam does a really smart thing. As a young leader, he says, you know what? I'm not going to make a decision right here in the moment. moment. Give me three days, and then come back, and we'll talk about it. So they do. Jeroboam and his group, they leave. And Rehoboam immediately goes to all of Solomon's advisors, all of his dad's advisors. So they've been in this political system, and they've watched Solomon and all his wisdom for all of these years. They've got a wealth of wisdom. Rehoboam goes to him, and he says, okay, this group came. What should I tell them? And Solomon's advisors say, you should tell them, that's exactly what I'll do. You should tell them, yep, I'll, I'll dial everything back. We're going to give you a break. We're going to make it a little easier on the people here in the land. And they, they tell him this, this is so wise. They said, Rehoboam, if you will be courageous enough to stop and to roll everything back, if you will serve them in return, they will serve you because that's how great leadership works. Great leaders serve first the people, and then in return, they find the people serve or follow them. So they said, if you'll do this, I'm telling you, they'll be loyal to you for life. You'll have an extraordinary reign. The problem is, as wise as advice as that was, it's not exactly what Rehoboam was wanting to hear. And so instead of just taking their advice, Rehoboam decides to consult with another group. And I want to pick up the story right here in the middle of this because it shows for all of us, no matter what age we're at, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you name it, it shows the power of the people that you surround yourself with. Here's how the story goes. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him 
and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So don't miss this. Rehoboam, here's what Solomon's advisors say, but these aren't his guys. These aren't his friends. And he, he knows what he wants to hear, so what does he do? He goes to the people that he's grown up with. He goes to his closest friends. People who don't have any more political experience than he does. People who don't have any more wisdom than he does. But Rehoboam intuitively knows. These guys, they're going to tell me what I want to hear. These guys are going to see this situation and view this decision the same way I do. So he goes to him. he says, hey, here's what's happened. What do you think I should do? Solomon's advisor said this, but what do you think I should do? And here's what Rehoboam's friends tell him. He asks him, what's your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And they respond. The young man who'd grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. This was their way of saying, it's kind of an odd saying, but this was their way of telling Rehoboam, you go back and you tell these people, if you thought it was hard under my daddy, just wait until you see what I'm going to do. If you thought he was tough on you, oh, I'm going to be a lot tougher. Rehoboam, you, you can't show any sign of weakness. You're early in your reign. You need to get, your, you know, get your, the fear of God into them, the fear of Rehoboam into them. You need to get your, call their bluff. You've got you to gotta show them that you're serious about this. They go on. My father, he says, tell them this. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. And surprise, surprise, this is exactly what Rehoboam wanted to hear. And this is exactly what Rehoboam wanted to do. And he just intuitively knew. And this shouldn't surprise any of us when we think about the friends and associates that we have surrounded ourselves with. We all tend to see things the same way and we all tend to think alike. And so Rehoboam, on the third day, stands in front of Jeroboam and this group who've returned. And he looks at them and he gives them this advice. And to his utter dismay, he could have never predicted or imagined this. To his utter dismay, they walk out. And they report back to the people of Israel what Rehoboam has said. And the kingdom of Israel splits, it divides. And they were never united again throughout that time of history. And Rehoboam lost almost everything because he listened to the wrong people. Now, the thing that makes this so tragic to me when I read this story, the thing that's so ironic about it is the fact that none of this had to happen if Rehoboam would have just been wise enough to listen to the advice of his own father years before, years before. Solomon, in Proverbs 13, had written this. He had said, you walk with the wise and become wise. Now, isn't this interesting? I want you to pause and think about this for a second. Solomon did not say, hey, if you will study under wise people, if you will learn from wise people, if you'll take good notes and try to emulate wise people, you're eventually going to become wise. No, Solomon said, this is what I've observed is true over the years. If you will just walk with the wise you're going to become wise. In other words, if you will just put yourself in close proximity to other people who have the traits you want to have, you're going to pick them up. You don't even have to work at it. You don't even have to study for it. You don't even have to practice it hard. Whoever you surround yourself with is what you're going to become like and who you're going to become like. So you want to be wise? You just surround yourself with some people who are wiser than you. Now what's fascinating to me is 
Thousands of years ago, Solomon understood this. And you find this in the writings in the, of the text of Scripture all throughout it, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And just in recent years, has there been scientific research that's proven this principle is actually scientifically true? There's a, a professor and a neuroscientist from Northwestern University named Morin Cerf. And what Morin Cerf decided to do is he took 10 years to study the decision-making habits of people. And he studied those decision-making habits based on what the people who surrounded them would do and how they influenced it. In other words, he wanted to know, how do the people we choose as friends influence our behavior and our attitudes? And at the end of this 10-year study, here's what he said he discovered. He said, the more we study engagement, we see time and again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. Now pause and think about the implications of that. He said, you don't have to do this intentionally. You just rub shoulders with people, and you can't help it scientifically. It will happen. Your brain will align with their brain. Now, for some of you, this explains a lot, doesn't it? Explains a whole lot. Some of you are going, I knew the minute I married them. That there was, you know, it's like, this explains a whole lot. That your brain actually, your brain waves actually align. In other words, you begin to think like the people you spend the most time with. That's a little scary, isn't it? Surf goes on, he says this next. If people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, well, that sounds like all of us, doesn't it? We all want to maximize happiness and minimize stress. So more and Surf says, okay, if that's what you want, here's what you do. You want to maximize happiness and minimize stress. They should build a life that requires fewer decisions. Well, how do you do that? By surrounding themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. So he says, if, if you want your stress level to go over and you want your happiness to increase, here's all you have to do. You figure out what traits you want to be true of you, and then you just make sure your closest friends have all the traits you wish were true of you. And you will find yourself having to make fewer decisions because your brainwaves are going to align with their brainwaves, and you're just going to start thinking like them and acting like them and behaving like them, and the next thing you know, you're going to be happier, your stress will be lower. And you didn't even have to work that hard at it. You just picked it up and then he concludes it with this statement he says over time they'll naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors now what's he saying he's saying what solomon said thousands of years ago you want to be wise just walk with the wise you don't have to study it you don't have to work real hard you don't have to take a class no no, no. just surround yourself with the people who have the traits you want to have and just by being in proximity to them this is how god wired us just by being in proximity to them, you will become more like them. You will be influenced by them. But Solomon says the flip side is also true. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. For, let me tell you why this is so important, he says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, as I was reflecting on this, here's what I found so interesting. I would have expected Solomon to say, you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. You walk with fools, you'll become a fool. Well, that's true, but that's not what he says. It's almost like he says, that, that's just obvious. You don't have to worry about that. Everybody will figure that out. He says, no, no, it's worse than that. You become a companion of fools. You surround yourself with some people who lack wisdom. And Solomon says, I just want you to know, you're going to suffer harm. You're going to suffer harm. In other words, you're not only going to make foolish decisions that have consequences, but Solomon says, you're going to get caught up in the chaos of the foolish people around you. 
and you're going to end up suffering their consequences as well. We talked last week about what it means to be a fool. It's, it's not a derogatory term. It's just a fool is somebody who doesn't see that life is all connected. A fool is somebody who thinks there's a big disconnect, that I can do this right here today, and it's not going to impact tomorrow. That I can make whatever decision I want right here, and it's totally disconnected from every other area of my life, that every decision's isolated. A wise person realize, realizes all of life is connected. They realize what I do today impacts tomorrow. The decision I make today moves me in a direction that leads to a very predictable destination. A fool just thinks, hey, I can go with the flow, do what I want. I'm not going to face any consequences. Yeah, it happens to other people. It never happens to me. Solomon says, you surround yourself with people like that. And not only will you become like them and have some consequences, you're going to get caught up in their consequences. Because guess what? The people around you who do not value their integrity will not value yours. The people around you who do not value their faithfulness will not value yours. The people around you who do not value self-control will not cheer you on and applaud you for your self-control. We pick up whatever the traits are of the people around us. And it's true at 16, absolutely. It's true at 26, without a doubt. But it's true at 46 and 66 as well. This never changes because acceptance always opens us up to influence. Scientifically, what Solomon said has been proven. It's how God wired us that our brain waves align with the people we rub shoulders with the most. Now, up to this point, up to this point, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're a skeptic or you're not sure you buy into all of this, this is just interesting and it's good common sense and you can embrace it and accept it and figure out what you want to do with it and you probably find it helpful. But for just a minute, let me explain for those of us who follow Jesus why this is so, so important for us. Because as I said last week, the goal of putting guardrails in your life, the goal of being this intentional with your life and living a wise life, the goal is not to live a better life. That's a byproduct and that's a good thing. But the goal of this is not to live a better life for us, it's to live a surrendered life. In other words, it's to reach a point where we trust our Heavenly Father enough to go with what He says. Where we trust our Heavenly Father enough that we're going to do whatever we can to protect ourselves from veering too far to the left or to the right from the purpose and the plan that He has for us. And the only way you grow spiritually, the only way you'll become all that God created you to be, is if you surround yourself with the right people to encourage you. This is just how God wired us. Spiritual growth happens best and it happens most often in the context of community. We talked last week about every time we hit a guardrail and we choose to redirect and get back on the path and on the track of where we want to go. We are not only stepping away from danger, but we are stepping towards something. We are stepping toward a better life for us. Specifically, Paul told us last week we're stepping toward a life of purpose that God has for us. We're stepping toward a life where we become more loving and joyful, and patient, and peaceful, and kind, and gentle, and faithful. A life where we have more self-control. The kind of life that we all want to live. The kind of traits that we all want to be true about us. We all want to have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We all want those things. But you have to put some guardrails in your life to help you realize when you start to drift away from what you want to be. And what for those of us who are Jesus followers, the, what we have to understand is the value of the people around us is this. 
They're either going to push, encourage, applaud, and propel us in that direction. Or they're going to pull us to drift. And they're going to pull us to veer. And they're going to lead us into a ditch. But they are influencing us one way or the other. And so as a follower of Jesus, if you say, well, I want the life that God has for me, you have to surround yourself with other people who are also pursuing the life that God has for them. Your closest friends, not everybody, and this isn't a criticism of other people. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the people that you allow to influence you the most, the people you go to when you have a decision, and you're like, I just don't know what to do here. The people who, you know, you're like, hey, could you give me some perspective and insight from your point of view? Those need to be people who hold the same traits and values you have. Because it's true for all of us that we get influenced by those people. You know this if you flip it and look at the other side of the coin. Because if the people who are closest to you are people who are negative, what do you find happening to you and you don't even realize it? You start to become negative. If they're people who gossip, I'm telling you, as much as you fight it, you're eventually going to find yourself gossiping. If they're people who are critical, as much as you don't want to be a critical person, you'll eventually find yourself being critical. If you want to be an honest person, but you're around some people who practice dishonesty at times, I'm telling you, you can't stop it. You'll eventually find yourself practicing dishonesty at times, or being jealous at times, or having anger issues at times, because our brain waves align, because this is how God wired us to be. You walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools always suffers harm. It's just the way it works. This is why you need guardrails in your life, because... Who you listen to influences what you do. It is impossible for them not to. So, as you think about the people that you've surrounded yourself with, as you think about the people that maybe you've never thought of it this way, but you would say, yeah, they do have a lot of influence in my life. Yeah, well, I, I do listen to what they have to say. Yes, I have found myself thinking and viewing things a little bit more like them. As you think through all that, Here's what I want to do. I want to suggest to you some guardrails that you can use as a filter to evaluate how well you're doing at this and if maybe there is some danger in your future that you don't see. If maybe you've started to drift because of the influence of some people you listen to and you don't even realize it. Now, these are suggested guardrails. They may not be the guardrails you need to have for your life. I don't know which ones you need. But this will at least give you something to get you started. Here's the first one. You should pay attention when it dawns on you that your core group is moving in a direction you don't want your life to move. In other words, these people that I hang with all the time and I consider them my best friends and, you know, we do everything together and we travel together, when you begin to notice that core group of people around you are drifting or moving into a direction that you go, I actually don't want to be like that. They're moving into a direction that's opposite of what the desires and attitudes and behaviors God has for you that you're trying to pursue. You should just pay attention. Again, it, it may not create any damage, but you've hit a guardrail. It should ding your conscience a little bit. It should catch your attention. And I know what you're thinking. I'm the same way. You're going, but we've, we've been friends forever. Like, we've, we've run together for years. I understand. But you have to know. You have to know. You walk with the wise, you become wise. But who you listen to is going to influence what you do, good or bad. Here's the second suggestion. You should pay attention when you catch yourself pretending to be someone other than who you really are. Now, here's what I mean by that one. When you catch yourself ch uh, chatting with a friend and you find your head going, yep, 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 and in your, but in your head you're going, no, I actually don't agree with that. I don't think that's right, but you're doing this. Okay, that's a red flag. It's a red flag. We've all had that happen to us before, haven't we? Somebody started telling us something, we're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and inside we're going, that is the dumbest idea I have ever heard. 
I don't know why you're thinking that. But outwardly, we're going, yeah, no, I understand why you're so excited about that. It's a great opportunity. You're thinking, oh, that's going to end terrible. Like anytime you find yourself doing that, that is a red flag. You have just bumped a guardrail. It should get your attention. Why do I feel like I have to pretend to be somebody I'm not with this person? In essence, what you're doing is nodding your head yes and lying to your friend the whole time. And that's, that's not the basis for any good friendship. So you just, I'm not saying you shouldn't be friends with them. You just need to evaluate, why do I feel the necessity to do this when I feel this internally? You should figure that out. Here's another suggested guardrail. You should pay attention when you feel pressure to compromise. Not when you compromise, it's too late then. But when you're hanging out with your group and you've got certain values or beliefs and certain, you know what, I want to be this kind of person. I've said I will always, I said I wouldn't, I've always said I would never. Like, you know, you know what your values are. And you're hanging out with a group of people and suddenly you realize you're beginning to have an internal debate about whether you should do something that normally would have never been a temptation for you or it would have never even been an option on the table. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those people. I'm just saying you should pay attention to that because that pressure to compromise is a guardrail. It is a red flag that should get your attention. Here's the fourth one. You should pay attention when you catch yourself thinking, I'll go, but I won't participate. I'm going to go on that trip with them all, but I'm not, and they're all going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. Now, this one is, is kind of funny because I, here, when I was thinking about this, I imagined, what would I say if my, one day my daughter, when she's like 14, 15, 16 years old, what would I say to her if she came to me and said, Dad, I'm going with those boys, but I'm not going to participate? I would say, Honey, your daddy is going with you and those boys to ensure you don't participate, right? It'd be like, are you kidding me? I would never buy that and say, well, just go on, honey. Don't worry about it. You know, I trust you. No, no, no. I, I would immediately go, no, we're not putting you in a situation where you're going to go but not participate. You shouldn't be there. But we, as adults, we do this, don't we? Well, I'll, I'll go. I can handle it. I'll go, but I won't participate. Again, you may go and not participate. I'm just telling you, anytime you have to say that, that's a guardrail you just hit. It should cause you to stop and go, wait a minute. Why am I in a situation with a group of friends that are doing things I'm not willing to participate in, but I still want to be with them? Why? Because, well, they're my friend. Okay, now, now you've got a conflict there that could lead to some trouble. Here, here's the last one I'll give you. You should pay attention when you, the, you hope the people you care about don't know your whereabouts. Okay? You know what I mean by this. Those people that you love the most that aren't really a big fan of you hanging out with so-and-so and aren't really a big fan of you taking a weekend trip with, and every time you go, there ends up being an argument because you do, and they said, no, didn't you agree not to, but you did because you were with them? You know what I'm talking about. If you've got any of those friends in your life, that when you go certain places with them or do certain things with them, you actually find yourself trying to hide it. You come back home, and your, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your roommate, whoever it is, says, hey, How'd it go this weekend? What'd y'all do? And you find yourself saying, ah, oh, not much, you know, not much. And you just kind of wiggle your way around telling the full story. That's, that's a red flag. That ought to light up your conscience. What'd you, what'd you do on that work trip? Well, we, you know, that ought to light up your conscience. You ought to pay attention. Because, listen, because who you listen to Always, you can't keep it from happening. It always influences what you do. Now, real quickly, let me address the thing that may be bouncing around in some of your heads that's creating a lot of tension right now. Some of you may be thinking, and I understand why, you may be thinking, but Matt, 
you are being so judgmental. And if I were to, you know, say that to my friend or change or, you know, do what you're saying and put up some guardrails, it would cause me to have to change some friendships. I just, I would just feel so judgmental. No, no, no. This isn't about being judgmental. There's a big difference between being judgmental and exercising good judgment. Let me explain it to you. When you are judgmental, here's what you do. You assume the role of judge and you look at your friends and say, what you're doing is wrong, and what you're doing is wrong, and what you're doing is wrong, and you should change, and you should change, and you should change. It's like Oprah on an evil day. That's what judgmental looks like, okay? You got to change, and, you gotta, and you're just pointing out all the things. That's being judgmental. Here's what good judgment looks like. Good judgment looks like this isn't about you and what you're doing at all. I just know for me, I just know for me, I just know given my hopes and dreams. I just know given the kind of person I want to be. I'm not sure I'm emotionally mature enough. I'm not sure I'm spiritually mature enough. I'm not sure I've got strong enough character right now to go with you and do what you're doing and it not impact me. It may not be a problem for you at all. I get that. This isn't about you. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm saying this is a me issue. And so I just need to exercise some good judgment because I don't think I'm strong enough to keep that from taking me somewhere I don't want eventually to go. Two very different focuses. Judgmental, it's all about you. Good judgment, I'm not judging you at all. This is about me and about what's going on inside of me. So, I want to ask you the same question that I asked you last week, but then I want to give you something to do with this as you track through the week, okay? When it comes to your friends and associates, in light, ask yourself this, in light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, and my future dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? When it comes to the people I hang with at work, when it comes to the people I travel with and, you know, we go away for the weekend, when it comes to the people I entertain and, you know, we're out on Friday night or we're, you know, going over to each other's homes, when it comes to those people, you should ask yourself, okay, in light of my past experiences, in, in light of what's in my story already, in light of my present circumstances and where I am right now, and in light of my future dreams and my future hopes about the kind of person I want to be someday, What's the wise thing for me? Not for everybody, because again, this is about good judgment for me. I'm not worried about you. But, but for me, what is the wise thing for me to do? You should ask yourself this question this week. And you may come back with the answer of, I love the people I'm around. And if I become, if Jim Rohn is right, and I become the average of the five people I spend the most time with, I would be thrilled. But then you know. You should consider that. And if that's your answer, then you know, and then you have confidence. But for others of you, you're going to ask this question and you're going to find yourself hesitating and you're going to find yourself a little uneasy and you're going to find yourself immediately starting to justify their behavior and justify their choices and justify what you guys do when you get, you know, you're going to find yourself justifying all that. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Just pay attention to the tension because you're going to feel it. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention when you're with somebody because right now you're thinking, nope, I'm good, I'm good. But this week you're going to be with somebody you're with a lot and all of a sudden you're going to realize, oh my gosh, they tend to be so negative and I find myself being negative right along with them. They tend to gossip and I find myself jumping right into gossip. I don't want to be somebody who gossips. They tend to lose their cool and get angry and there's just so much drama around everything and then I don't want to be that kind of person. But next thing I know, I'm in the middle of it with them all the time. I don't want to be dishonest, but here I am, and I'm listening to them be dishonest, and I'm realizing that I'm nodding my head yes, going, oh, yeah, that was a smart thing to do. Glad you didn't tell them everything. or you know, 
All of a sudden this week, you're going to think you're fine, and then something's going to happen this week, and you're going to feel attention. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You need to pay attention to the tension, and here's why. Because every single morning across our communities, there are hundreds of people. This is not an exaggeration. There are hundreds of people who wake up, and they look in the mirror, and they ask themselves, how did I get here? How did I do this? How did I become this kind of person? And the answer is because who they listened to influenced what they did. The answer is because they did not pay attention. They didn't put any guardrails in place to protect them from the influences that might drift them or lead them into a ditch. And they became a person they never planned to become, a person they're not proud of. They did some things they're not proud they did. They went some places they can't believe they went. And they can't hit a rewind button and an undo button because you can't change your past, but you can change your future. When it comes to your friends and your associates, you can plan today to prevent regrets tomorrow if you just put some guardrails in place and pay attention to the tension. And yes, it may require some awkward conversations. I have been there and done that. It may require some uncomfortable decisions. I get that. But your future is worth it. And as much as you think you can, you're just like me, I'm the same way, all oh, that'll happen to other people, but it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. I'm mature enough to handle this. I'm just telling you. Just telling you. What's true for everybody else is true for you. Your friends are a preview of the future you. They still influence the quality and the direction of your life because who you listen to always influences what you do. It does. So Solomon says, you get to choose. This is the beauty of it. You get to choose. You walk with the wise, you become wise. You become a companion of fools, you suffer harm. That choice is yours, and that choice is mine. But there is something better for all of us who choose we're going to walk with the wise. And that better thing is when we surround ourselves with people who are pursuing God's purpose for their lives, when we surround ourselves with people who are allowing Jesus to shape his character in us, we become like that too. And we experience the life that we've always wanted, but more importantly, we experience the life. We live the life God created us to live. Let me pray for us. Father, it is so easy for us to reach a point in our lives where we just ignore this and we assume it'll never happen to me and I, I've got this figured out and I'm going to be just fine. And then we end up developing qualities we never wanted to have. We end up making decisions we never intended to make. And we don't even see in many cases that's happened to us. We don't even see we become so negative that we gossip, that we criticize that we're angry, that we're jealous, that we're dishonest. We don't even see those things creeping into our behaviors. It just happens because we're around people who do the same thing. It just seems normal. But in the process, it leads us further and further into the ditch and further and further off the cliff. And we cross painted lines we have for ourselves, but we never notice it because we don't have any guardrails in place. Would you give us enough wisdom 
to know what guardrails we need to put up. And this week, because it's going to happen, this week when we find ourselves in a situation where it's like the light goes off and we go, oh my goodness, it's happening right here, and we feel the tension, give us enough boldness to do the wise thing for our future and for the futures of everyone around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.